I'm Mandy Jack and I'm here with my colleague Brian Ellis and we're part of a team of academic developers at Swansea University who provide support and promote good learning and teaching practices and experiences. So welcome to A Pinch of Salt, Swansea University's learning and teaching podcast. If it has anything to do with learning and teaching in higher education, let's make sure everybody knows about it. Today we're talking to the archivists at the Richard Burton Archives here at Swansea University. This enthusiastic and engaging team of archivists have come here today to share their passion for the wonderful resources that are held within the archives and to share ways in which those archives, not only of local and regional, but national significance, can offer a unique opportunity to enhance the student learning experience. So a warm welcome to Katrina, Emily and Stacey of the Richard Burton Archives. Welcome, ladies. Hello. 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 So, really, the first question has to be, what exactly is the Richard Burton Archives? So, we are the institutional archive for Swansea University, which means that we look after the corporate record. Emily is really good on the corporate record because she's been heavily involved with the centenary that took place last year, particularly working through the university's records and the records of the student union. Beyond that, we hold a lot of other stuff and it is not only Richard Burton. I hasten to add, let's get that in there quickly because people sometimes think that that is all we hold. We do hold the actors' papers and they are very important. They certainly raise the profile of the archive. However, we do hold a lot more, including the South Wales Coalfield Collection, a lot of local material, things to do with Welsh writers and English, and much, much more. My colleagues may have something to say on that. In terms of our other collections we have, we have a lot of what we call local archive collections. So we have our business collections in particular relating to metallurgical companies like copper, tin plate and steel, which were the most prominent in Swansea. And they contain a wide variety of material, minute books, financial ledgers, staff records, things like that. We have the South Wales Transport Collection, which Swansea Mumbles Railway was the world's first passenger railway service in 1807. So it's a really great collection for the development of Swansea, leisure in Swansea, transport in Swansea. We have theatre collections. We have collections from religious organisations like the Roman Catholic Church or the Methodist Church. So we have some surprising, other than the, the standard archive collections you might expect to find in a university archive, we do have quite a lot of surprises in there as well. Emily might want to talk a bit about the oral history collections now. As Katrina mentioned, um, the university collections comprise about 300 metres worth of material, so there's a lot of stuff there. We have student records, student union collections that include student newspapers, which date back to 1921. There are departmental photographs, departmental records, minute books, personal papers of former staff and students as well as as many other sort of departmental records and audiovisual material as well, including a rather ambitious oral history project, which was started in 2016, 
by Dr. Sam Blaxland as part of the preparations for the centenary, which the university celebrated last year in 2020. So this particular oral history project comprises of 78 interviews with previous staff and students talking about areas from all the way back to the sort of 1930s. I mean, a couple of the interviewees were were quite elderly and and had experiences all the way back to the 1930s, you know, memories of the first library being built in 1937, uh, things like that. So that that collection is a fantastic addition to to the archives really gives you an insight into university life from both the student and the staff perspective and those research those interviews were used as part of Dr Dr Blacksland's research as part of his book Campus and Community in a Post-War World which was published last year came out last year in 2020 so again that's a that's a, a fantastic sort of insight into into university life at Swansea. That's really fascinating and having been lucky enough to visit the archives myself, for those that don't know where you were based in Swansea in the university, where can they find you? So we're in the Singleton Park Library and we are on level one. So once you go into the main library on level three, you just work your way down. And once uh, you've reached level one, you can go no further and we're there tucked away. We have our public room which means that that's where people go to read and where they are welcomed. And then we have the staff areas, which include our strong rooms and they're behind a secure set of doors. So we love having visitors down to see us. We are now beginning to reopen the service. So we are gradually welcoming more and more people back, students and members of the public. So keep an eye on our website to find out more about opening hours and how to visit us. It's been um, a great development because when I first started in 2009, it was literally like one office where the archivists would stay. We'd borrow the rare books reading room, which was tiny, and we'd wheel archives all through the library, past students with their pizzas and drinks and stuff. But now we have purposely built strong rooms. We have a reading room, we have a lobby, and the strong rooms are really quite impressive to have a look at, which is one of our sort of why we try and get people to come down and visit us because it's one of our not claims to being unique within the university but there's not there's nowhere quite like us in the university within if we could bring students in their reaction is maybe different than they would expect to find from visiting an archive you you do find that people often have like archivists with their cardigans with patches and dusty and things like that and it's not like our strong rooms are really they're all built to certain standards that archive strong rooms have. They're all temperature controlled, relative humidity. There's quite a lot of science behind it. So it's really great that we can show students and lecturers that space now. And some of us do wear cardigans, can I just add? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with cardigans with patches on. But um... <laughs> We just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, it's just want... the stereotypical view that people might have. Stacey's saying, you know, the strong rooms are such a pulling point because you can walk in to this room, which is sort of two stories high. We've got these enormous rolling shelves, you know, and the sort of the vastness of it to think, you know, you've got shelves and shelves of history, which I think really, really does make the students go, wow, as Stacey says. 
I can vouch for that actually because I was going to ask you what are people most surprised about when they visit the archives because I was one of those surprised members of staff actually I was lucky enough to visit the, the archives as part of my induction tour and I came to the university in 2017 and have a sociology and psychology teaching background and one of the things that I was surprised by in addition to what you were just saying about the vastness of the strong rooms and just the whole kind of emotional experience of being surrounded by such fascinating artifacts and the care that's taken over them which I'll ask you a bit more about later but I was also really surprised about the potential use of the archives and artifacts for learning and teaching um, across more disciplines than perhaps people would imagine could you tell us more about a little bit more about the the learning opportunities for both staff with their students and perhaps students without their uh, lecturers as well at the archives? So we've got vast strong rooms with a massive amount of material in them and there is something in there for everyone. I think that's one of the things we would like to impress on people is that archives do hold this wonderful sort of way of looking at the past and you're very welcome to come in and do that. You can be with a lecturer or you could be by yourself as a student or you could be a member of the public. All are very welcome. So the sorts of subjects that we have helped with in the past, things like disputes, strikes, we're particularly good on that sort of negotiation between employer and employee. The Spanish Civil War, we hold quite a lot on sport, recreation and leisure, disability, health. We have worked with Sarah Galletley to do with nursing and she's used things to look at how practice has changed which people may not think of coming up to us to look at that type of thing so more sort of managerial element the environment how that's developed in the area so these things can be used either as ways of looking at the past they can be used as ways of maybe doing some critical thinking they can be used as inspiration we have had people come in and use things creatively which is, is quite exciting and a different way of approaching things. We work with undergrads and postgrads, with postdoc researchers and with academics undertaking their own research. So there's a lot there to consider and we just encourage everyone to contact us, say what you're interested in, we'll see what we can come up with. I don't know if Stacey and M have particular thoughts with the collections you've worked with. I think um, just carrying on from what you're saying there, it's about contacting us. If a lecturer or student comes to us and with a research interest, even if we can't find anything, which we usually can, nine times out of ten, we usually have something relevant, we can point them in the right direction of maybe digital sources or other archive services that could help. So as well as just having the records on hand, we also have the sort of expertise and know-how to point people in the right directions or maybe say makes other suggestions for research or teaching have you thought about this because we've got this collection on your doorstep so come and have a look at this one it's really nice actually we've got so many collections that haven't been used so if a lecturer or a student comes in and looks at documents that haven't been used or haven't been used for 10 20 years it's really interesting for us as archivists because they might have a completely different take on it and tell us something that we didn't know about our own collections, which maybe then we can add to the catalogues. If a student is doing, say, a dissertation and they can tell their lecturer or their marker something new, that's, I mean, it's not proven, but, you know, we'd like to say that it helps, you know, bump up a mark if you're, if you're telling lecturers something that they haven't 
they don't already know and something that might really interest them and pique their interest. So it's like a two-way street as well. We learn a lot from researchers actually coming in. Business collections is what I sort of was involved in originally. So when I originally started at Swansea, it was cataloging business collections, but also trying to work out how to promote them so that lecturers and students and the general public could see further than just that they're like quantitative information, financial records, and showing how they can be used for social research, looking at the environment looking at, you know, the way humans lived and worked together. So what would a visit actually involve? You know, take us through perhaps what would happen from the point of arrival at the archives to the point where they leave. So normally people will make some sort of prior contact with us and we will then encourage them to come in on a sort of set date and time. They make their way down to the archives or we can alternatively meet them upstairs at the entry to the Singleton Park Library. We then go through the rules and regs. This is where we might sound a little bit officious, but we're after the long-term preservation of the documents and it's nothing personal. It doesn't make any difference who you are, the same rules and regs apply. So the basic sort of summary of those is no food, no drink, no ink. So basically everything goes away in a locker and by the time the person goes through into the reading room, all they have with them is some note-taking equipment. So that's going to be maybe a laptop, or a tablet, uh, it might be paper. And if it is paper, it's gonna be with a pencil, not with a pen. Those will be confiscated at the door and kept until they can be returned on the person's way out. We're a little bit different than the main library in that we go and get the stuff for people to look at. They don't go to the shelves themselves and browse. They get to look through catalogues, which they can do online or paper copies. Everything we have has its own unique reference. So we get people to fill out production slips where they write the reference, a brief description. We then scurry off to our strong rooms and possibly using our uppy downy mupe, we then go and get things from the shelf. So that could be up to three and a half meters high. And it might take us a, a little bit longer than a couple of minutes, but usually we get stuff out pretty quickly about 10 minutes. They are then invigilated while they look at that material. So again, a little bit different from the library. You will have someone in the room with you, staring at you, and they're there to help. Uh, that's really important to remember that they have some knowledge and that they can help you access the material, whether that's how you actually physically open it, or it could be how you read it, or we might be able to suggest ways in which uh, secondary reading could be done and interpretation take place. Once a reader is finished looking at things, they will then hand it back to us and they can then make their way out. I should have mentioned with the rules and regs, we do have a reader's ticket scheme, so people will need to register. So again, that makes it a little bit different to the rest of the library. It's a fairly straightforward process. And if you go to most archive services, you will have to do something like that. So it's pretty straightforward. Has there been any changes due to COVID? Are you back up to face-to-face -face now? We're face-to-face -face now two days a week, readers can book in. That just helps us manage staff numbers, um, reader numbers, and also making sure we've got documents out. At the beginning of COVID, we were quarantining documents and things, so we needed a certain amount of time between, but obviously then they found as the research went on with COVID, we didn't need to do that. So yeah, we're two days a week at the moment. We don't know how things will progress in the next few months, whether that will go up or down. But we are accessible via email, Zoom, 
the normal five days a week. Are there any of those processes that you had to, to adopt during COVID? Are there any of those that actually they work quite well? We'll keep those going. Certainly for teaching, whereas we haven't been able to welcome groups in the way we have done in the past, it's been quite interesting taking students through the online process. So getting them to actually look at online catalogues and understanding how they work and to get them maybe doing exercises using larger sort of groups of catalogues like you can find in the archives hub and getting them to also think about the differences between a digital copy of a record and a physical record and what questions they should be asking to so getting them to really sort of analyze what they're looking at in a different way also thinking getting them to think about if something has been digitized and it's out there and being looked at by lots of people does that mean that actually there's the additional value of now going into an archive and seeing things that aren't being so readily accessed so it swings and roundabouts really you gain in some ways and in other ways you want to get people back in because that is the exciting bit when you get students sort of saying you know they're just so excited because they're actually holding a document from the 17th century it's not quite the same as looking at it on screen but if you look at it on screen the rules of no food no drink no ink don't apply and that's great when you can do it from your bedroom or your front room so we just don't want to lose the magic of what it means to go to the archives then yeah there's definitely something special about handling an original document and as Stacey was saying earlier when people do walk into the strong rooms as group visits there's a a different feel to it there is a something that's just a little bit unique and it's that sort of physical interaction that, that you can't just can't get through a screen but again for many people having a cup of tea by your side when you're doing your research and a packet of biscuits doesn't half help and our whole lives are online now so so to go back to you know traditional physical records really is something special i i again i would wholly support that having had that experience myself with a, a group of staff actually who were in awe of the uh, opportunity to physically handle the artifacts that you kindly selected across a range of different disciplines on the day that i visited so we can actually handle the artifacts then and what rules are applied when we touch and feel documents from the 1700s that's definitely one of the plus points of coming in is the handling of the documents and again that's where maybe people think we're a bit more like a museum whereas we're not really it's not behind a glass case you get to handle the real thing carefully and most importantly with clean hands so we don't insist on people wearing gloves unless they're dealing with photographic material and we will supply those gloves for you you don't have to bring your own it's that sensation of seeing what it looks like and some of our collections even have a different smell to them so we've got the records of seven sisters rugby club and every time you open a box there is a smell of damp grassy changing room we've had this collection for years and it is still there uh, you can open the papers of a, a previous principal of the university and get a, a get a whiff of cigarette smoke so Yes, there's definitely uh, all the senses come alive when you're actually uh, physically uh, handling material. I like Katrina's um, spiel that she gives the students who are obviously more used to digital sources or, you know, computer paper from the 90s or 2000s. And she talks to them about parchments 
and the animal skin and the hair on the parchment, which is is amazing to see their faces because they there's no experience of that at all. It's a real multi-sensory experience, isn't it? And one that stays with you for a while after. And how you preserve and take care of those artefacts in the strong rooms is equally as fascinating. Is that completely behind the scenes or do people have access to those areas too? For learning and teaching purposes, would students be able to have access to the strong rooms to learn how you preserve and take care of the the artefacts? Because when I came and visited, I was struck by the engineering, for example, you know, of the strong rooms. Just thinking about whether or not there could be opportunities for students perhaps in those areas. So, yes, yeah, so pre-COVID, we, we did have tours to, into the strong rooms. So we would uh, take groups of, of 12 students in and we would talk about, you know, they get the chance obviously to see the material. We talk a little bit about temperature control, about relative humidity, pest management and that sort of thing. So obviously at the moment, we're not able to do that because of uh, because of restrictions. But we hope we can return to that at uh, some point in the future. In regards to conservation, we do do sort of lighter conservation. So cleaning and things like that, which student groups have had the opportunity to have a go at in previous years. But a lot of our conservation work is actually outsourced as sort of more difficult things. We had a selection of the new student newspapers, which are incredibly damaged, which were sent off site to be repaired. So that type of work, we could always you know, talk about that with, uh, with students and things if they are interested or with lecturers. But that sort of more nitty gritty work is, is, is outsourced. That's really interesting. And you mentioned COVID having prompted more digitised artifacts earlier so what work have you done in that area in the last year or so we were really lucky with this for example the university collections we had an exhibition at the waterfront museum so that was all very last minute sort of at the end of 2019 but we managed to digitize a huge number of photographs in this sort of three-month period and then covid hit so we were actually incredibly lucky to have had that content readily digitized so because we were all working at home at the time we were able to sort of still put the exhibition to put the exhibition together and use photographs the research and and, and other things as well so the last year we've been able to go i think from may i think it was last year we were able to, to sort of start to go back to the office a little bit so we could continue with digitization work if we had to. We had a new member of staff who was employed to, to concentrate purely on that. So that helps with inquiries from people when they want copies of things. So we are able to, to use the equipment and to digitize. But for the most part, though, if it wasn't university related, if we hadn't digitized it when we were working from home, that was quite challenging uh, in that we didn't have access to, to the materials uh, because obviously it's a huge amount of material and you've only really digitized maybe 1% of that, maybe not even 1%. So that was quite a challenge with inquiries and things during the complete lockdown when we were working at home. That was quite timely, though, wasn't it? As you've been talking, I've just been bowled over by the ideas that have sprung to my mind and the, the subject areas that I would never have even thought of. You know, I was thinking of the School of Management, looking at financial aspects that you could delve into, not just the historical things that are going on. It's just brilliant. And I expect you've got some favourite projects that you've, you've worked on. I, I wondered if you could tell us about any of those. Is there anything that you thought maybe a surprise project something that came in you thought nothing of and it turned out to be something really remarkable i'd say for me it was probably working with the richard burton diaries 
I originally joined the university to work on the papers of the cooperative societies. And then I found that my skills that I'd sort of developed working with medieval documents could be readily applied to Richard Burton's diaries. So Professor Chris Williams actually did the editorial work, but I did all the transcription beforehand. And it was very interesting because with a lot of younger people, particularly, say, the student groups, they don't know who Richard Burton is. I include my sister in that group. However, when you talk to my mother's generation, they're quite blown away by the fact that I would be sitting there handling Richard Burton's diaries day after day and just finding out a bit more about the man and having some of those sort of myths uh, dispelled. You know, he was a very wide read man. He loved words. He loved language. He liked to challenge himself. He certainly was a troubled character, but there's a lot more to him. And I think because of the recent exhibition that we did with the National Museum Wales up in Cardiff, that's hopefully promoted again, that idea that there's more to the man than just this sort of star of stage and screen. Stunning. I'm obviously in your mum's age category because I'm blown away by the fact that you were handling Richard Burton's diaries. How about any of the others, Stacey or Emily? In recent years, we've had a deposit, a photographer's collection, Risa Page, who was a social documentary photographer and also had a background in social care. So her photography really captures minority groups, diverse communities. So for us, I mean, it's already, it's only recently been catalogued by a project archivist who is now working on a book based on the collection. And we have, as Emily mentioned before, a digitization assistant who's working on digitizing the photographs. But even before all that, we've had so much interest, interdisciplinary interest to do with ageing, to do with social care, various different women's history. There's stuff about disputes and strikes in there, health, a lot about health and medicine. And for me, I think it's going to be a really positive way that we can open up this collection to a bit more of a diverse audience than maybe we've had without other collections and work with different audiences and different groups than we have before. For me... My background uh, and interest is in oral history and we have been developing the oral history collections over the last few years. So we have about 10 or 11 collections now covering a, a range of things, including the Voices of Swansea University collection. And at the end of last year, we took part in the Being Human Festival with uh, Professor Louise Miskell from the Department of History, really looking at the sort of the history of work and what we can learn from oral history about people's work and, and, and their professions and things like that. So we we used a number of clips from a collection we have of interviews with the Port Albert Steelworkers, which were conducted by Dr. Blethyn Penny a few years ago as part of his PhD research. So and we chatted to, to others as well about their experiences of work. So for me, it was really interesting to, to sort of, rather than the sort of day-to-day, -day, you know, you're looking at business records and things like that, but actually the thoughts and feelings of of people's work and their their friendships learning about their friendships and social activities and what food they ate in the canteen and how they got their work and things like that so that was I found that very very interesting. So back in 2018 Swansea Academy of Learning and Teaching had the privilege of working with the, the Richard Burton archives in setting up some workshops for staff for them to experience the archives experience and then to hopefully take students along. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of the 
case studies of um, the consequences of those archives and how staff who attended the workshops went on to take up the opportunities that they learned about. So Alexia Bowler is one of the academics at Swansea University who has worked quite closely with us on the back of that SALT session. She also put in a paper and a poster for the SALT conference that took place shortly after that to promote the work that she's managed to do with the archives and with SALT, which sort of is that lovely way of working together across the university. Um, I think really sort of pays dividends. So she works with linguistics, which again, you might not naturally come to archives to, to look at that, but we have that sort of historic development of language within our collections. And it's been really interesting seeing how she can get her students to think about language and how language is captured. So I know she's done exercises with them where she's got them to actually have a go at handwriting with uh, quills because it's a different experience. And I think that really brings it to life so they can get an idea of how you write in particular ways and how styles of handwriting have changed and where words have been sort of conjoined and bits have been missed out because they, when they were looking at it, they were sort of pointing out things that sometimes it's a little bit like text speak in that you'll have a little symbol to represent a, a group of letters. So it's a bit of decoding that you have to do. And because people are used to doing these sort of abbreviated words now, sometimes that just makes a lot of sense and they get it straight off. It was really interesting as well during sort of the, the pandemic, how Alexia came back to us and actually asked to use a rebus letter. So the rebus is the use of pictorial symbols. It's actually a love letter whereby this distraught lad says basically how much he cares for this girl. And if she dares see anyone else, it'll just be the end of the world. But she ended up using that letter as part of the departmental promotional materials to try and encourage future students, just to show that linguistics is a sort of diverse field and that Swansea University can offer these sort of different perspectives on it. So that's been, been great. And she's just full of enthusiasm and hopefully we'll be welcoming groups back in the future with her. Yeah, it'll be great to pick up that work, wouldn't it, when we can all meet face to face without any further restrictions. So look forward to more workshops of that kind, perhaps in the future, Katrina, Stacey and Emily. It certainly um, makes things very exciting when we get to meet the academics from across the university and because of the SALT input, they learn the pedagogical value that there is within this. So I worked with Rian and Chris in SALT to do a, an article for the an archive professional journal, which was great because we got to do some case studies. We got to look at how the visit that Rian had arranged for academics to come and experience for themselves what we have uh, on offer, uh, how that all feeds through into the academic and sort of student experience, because we are there to encourage students and to open up their opportunities to talk, even talk careers with them and you know say that there's there's all these various roles and, and wonderful opportunities out there so you know do talk to us i think all the work we've done with salt over the last few years particularly with you Rian, as well is um is really important for us because we need advocates within the university so it's okay for us to shout about what we do but if it's going into a vacuum and no one's listening or no one's thinking about how it can apply to their own teaching. And that's where it's really helped doing these workshops with Salt. And like you said, hopefully we can do do a lot more once the 
pandemic is over if it's ever over absolutely and that element of surprise i would go so far as to say is guaranteed whatever discipline that you're you're from so before we we finish i do want to know what's the best thing about being an archivist i would say it's dealing with researchers and finding things that you never knew you had in your collections because we've got all the catalogues but they can be quite cursory and you, know, you don't get all the detail in that. But when you get a student who has done some research, they come in, they look at a document and they do just sort of sit there and say, I found my argument. It just it, it's a really good feeling. I think for me, it's the variety in the role. So I would say that no day is ever the same, um, depending on what sort of inquiries you get in or what sort of researchers you get in. But a lot of my role is tends to be more dealing with the catalogue and the data at the moment which is still really rewarding because I might not necessarily see the researcher in the reading room finding out what they're finding out, but I know that the work that's gone into the cataloging and managing the metadata and making sure that all the records, well, not all the records, but the records are accessible, all contributes to that end product of the archives being accessible for research. That's fab. Emily? I think for me, it's, always being able to learn new things. So be that just sort of your day-to-day work that you're doing, but being surrounded by this wealth of history and depending on the inquiry you get or a piece of uh, a box that you might open uh, to catalogue, you you always have to, you, there'll always be some different aspect of history that you might have to sort of scratch up on and, and do a bit of research about. So you might not be an expert in anything particular, but you get to gain all these sort of little bits of knowledge about all these different areas. So that for me is is, is great because it just, it, it keeps things interesting and, and keeps each day different as Stace says, really. That's great. And um, we hear you have a Twitter account. What's your handle? How can people follow you? It's at Swan Uni Archives. We also have a website, but actually the LibGuide has more content on it because it's got all our research guides on there. We have some digital storytelling, which is where we did student stories on but yeah, you can get through to most of that from our Twitter as well. Fab. We'll make sure all those links. So any links that you'd like us to share and promote, if you send them to us, I'll put them in the show notes as well. That's fabulous. We've just got a couple of little fun questions we'd like to ask you. So if you were to ask anybody to visit the archives, a historical figure or perhaps somebody still living, who would that be and why? I think I might be tempted to... As a historic figure, ask Amy Dillwyn to come along. So we've just catalogued her collection of papers. So she's a a Swansea lady, lived through very interesting times and stood on her own two feet absolutely very firmly. I'd be intrigued to see what she made of now and the way that society has changed and just see if she is like the lady in the diaries fab stacy i'm gonna be a bit not controversial but i'd like to invite some of the current government (laughs) just to come and see you know the importance of record keeping and obviously we have documents from a long time ago and the importance of keeping those things and things not going missing i think there has been you know, it has been in the press lately and there has been news reports and they have actually quoted archivists in there, which has been brilliant to see because, again, it's that advocacy and the importance of 
keeping reliable records and what they can teach you, not just about the present, but the past and the future. So, yeah, maybe Boris can come and give us a visit. I was just going to say, give us a name. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a second. No, that my was only, My perfect. only other one was, so we've got these letters yeah. um, from the template business collections and there's, it's a boy, it's a child worker, a cold world catcher, and he's apologising in this letter to the company owners, it's like, it's like 1899 or something, and he's apologising for coming out of work and arranging a strike with the other boys. And I always read it, I just think, what happens, if he's, a, if he's like trade unionism, organising a strike at the age of 10, like what did he go on to do? He probably actually developed some awful industrial disease and died very early in life. But, you know, he maybe maybe he went on to great trade unionist things. Excellent. Thank you. Emily? I would ask the artist Percy Gleaves, who painted the, the laying of the foundation stone painting, which is held in the Abbey. So he painted that in 1920, I believe. But there's like no information about him anywhere. I know that, well, I know that he was an artist. He worked a bit in Swansea and worked a bit in the north of England. Professor Priest Morgan tells a lovely anecdote about him in his oral history interview that he, he used to paint and dance at the same time and then swear at, swear at the people he was painting. So I'd just love to have a chat with him and, and find out a bit more about him, really. That's fantastic. Okay, so are you reading anything interesting for fun, for pleasure, to relax? My last two reads have been a slight contrast. I did The Third Man by Graham Greene, which was a little bit dark and foreboding. And then I sort of contrasted in many ways that with The Princess Bride by William Goldman. But I think both uh, both of those books do go along the line in The Princess Bride of Life Isn't Fair. I'm reading a book about Thomas Beckett, who my son was named after. And he, I've had it by my bedside since he was born and he's just turned three. So I thought now's the time to actually read the book. But apart from that, I'm just reading hypnobirthing books because um, I'm due very soon with my second. So. Awesome. I am reading uh, Yesterday's Gower by J. Mansell Thomas, which is a lovely collection of, of oral interviews or transcripts of oral interviews that were conducted in the sort of... Uh, 40s 50s 60s I believe and it's fantastic to see sort of old age gower and uh, old farming practices and and uh, and things like that lovely a really nice collection and some to add to my own list I think so Rian is there anything else you'd like to ask or is, is there anything that any of you would like to say before we close I would like to ask it. I give you some of my feedback, but I'm just also interested in what kind of feedback you get from students once they've visited the archives. There's been great sort of slightly unpredictable comments that you get. So sometimes, say, with the strong rooms, you get sort of that sort of, wow, it's like the TARDIS in here, which is great. We'll take that. You get that sort of the strange comment, like, that was surprisingly interesting. And we think as archivists, we know it's interesting. That's why we've invited you along. I think the people like the piece of archive sometimes it's quite a quiet thoughtful area and people can get just so engrossed in their their research so you do get sort of lovely comments I know we've had so you know, just it's a fantastic experience that, that I've got to see and do things I've never had the opportunity to do before you just have that loveliness of 
seeing opportunities opening up for people. That's my take. Again, Stacey and Em may have different uh, versions. I'm just looking at some of the feedback that we put on our LibGuide. So occasionally we get, we actively collect feedback from students via little postcards as part of like an Explorer Archive campaign. So I enjoyed looking at real life documents as it, as it gave a better insight of things at the time, I find it surprising, it's that word surprising again, at how the documents were stored and all of the details, e.g. bugs and temperature. Um, thank you. Very helpful staff. So good that someone is looking after our history, which I think is a nice one. I remember reading the postcard comments too, and I remember reading one student say that she was bowled over so much that she wanted to become an archivist herself. How amazing is that, that a visit inspired somebody's future career spot on well i'd just like to thank you all for coming along today it's been a fantastic opportunity for me to learn more about what the archives do i know rian has been down and i haven't yet but i definitely will be coming to visit you soon so thank you again thank you so much thank you thank you all the very best for 2022 as well you too you too thanks a lot bye, bye. bye.